As the year draws to a close, we look back at some of the big issues of 2021. This interview was among the most popular business podcasts. Take a listen. I'm Nadja Swart for Business, and I'm joined by Dr. Herman Edling. Just by way of introduction, Herman, can you just give me a bit of your background? Uh, certainly. Um, I spent 10 years as a general practitioner, after that as a neurosurgeon. Since 2008, I've been restricting my practice to medico-legal neurosurgery, and more recently also to mediation of medico-legal disputes. Okay, and medical legal practice, you note that in your initial correspondence in July that medical legal practice is the basis of dispute resolution. So firstly, can you just explain to me what it entails and secondly, why you think it has been abandoned in this pandemic? Okay, well, medical legal practice deals with disputes that are of a medical nature. So there are two large groups of different medical legal practice. One relates to people who sustain personal injuries, example, in motor accidents, Mm -hmm. and who have permanent disability, who then claim compensation from the road accident fund for their injuries. That that is one large amount of medical legal practice, which goes about compensation for injuries. The other large branch goes about clinical negligence, where a person suffers harm and where they allege that the medical practitioner was negligent and then if that is proven, they claim damages from the medical practitioner. So that's what medical legal practice deals with. And as a neurosurgeon, I've been working in that field. Now, it's not that field that has been abandoned. Mm. What I'm saying now is that in this worldwide response to COVID-19, the principles that have stood the test of time for ages have been abandoned. That is the principles of evidence-based medicine and also principles which I have experienced and trusted so well over the years of expert evidence which is given in court Mm. that experts are required to provide their reasons in Mm. easy-to-understand language that lay people can understand. Mm. And on the basis of that, courts decide which expert evidence to accept and which not. And in this In this global catastrophe, we have people expressing opinions and instructions, relying on their authority to do so, but not relying on reasons. Hmm. By not relying on reasons, they are neither relying on facts, nor on science, nor on logic. That is the philosophical crisis that we are in. So you wrote an open letter to President Ramaphosa on the 10th of August addressing these concerns. Can you just unpack the contents of that letter for me briefly? Certainly. The letter is available, and I think you do have the link to the online Mm -hmm. letter. So it is open and available to to anybody. Briefly, in the beginning, I sketched the background and the context in which the letter is written. Then I point out a number of elements of the official narrative. That is the narrative put out worldwide by WHO, FDA, CDC, governments around the world, and which the South African government has slavishly followed without, it seems, any questioning. Hmm. And that narrative is now put out by the South African government and also health authorities, such as the Department of Health, the Minister of Health, SAPRA, 
the South African Medical Association, etc. I have listed just eight elements of that narrative in my letter to the president, each one of which is harmful, either by virtue of being false or misleading or irrational. And then in the next section of the letter, I go on to point out why I say that each one of those eight elements of the narrative is either false, misleading or irrational. Having pointed that out, I then deal with three examples of double standards that are applied in South Africa by the health authorities and the government. And they are clear double standards, which no responsible authority should engage in. Standards should be uniform and equal. And then, in that background, I ask the president to do certain things. So that is contained in paragraph two of the letter, Hmm. and there are seven things that I ask for. Hmm. And every one of those seven things relates in some or other way to provision of relevant factual information, Hmm. dissemination and sharing of that relevant and factual information, to stop telling lies and tell the truth, and also to stop suppressing people who try to tell the truth but who are suppressed or censored. So the whole central core of this letter is to say to the President, please provide South Africans, citizens, doctors, scientists, everybody, with the truth and allow people to discuss the truth and debate in that way, according to scientific methods and according to the law, according to rationality and according to our constitution, South African citizens and doctors and scientists will be able to work out what is the correct and best way to deal with these crises. So I'm simply pleading for information. Mm. And this is now five weeks later. Have you received any form of response? No. I, I've re- I, my letter has been followed up by four email res- mm-hmm. um, asking again, please respond. To each, to each of them, I've received an acknowledgement of receipt email from the presidency. Mm-hmm. So I know that the president's office has received the letter and all the supporting documentation and all the emails. Mm-hmm. In each one of those, the presidency says that somebody will contact me soonest to deal with this and so far that has not transpired in the the last occasion which was last week i also wrote a letter to the minister of health mm-hmm. in which i essentially asked the minister of health seeing that the president now after four weeks has not responded at all or nobody from his office mm. can we please turn our request to you mr minister of health to do the things that we pleaded with the president seeing especially that all of those things fall within the ambit of your responsibility as Minister of Health. Mm. If the President isn't going to do it, will you please do it? And I also just mentioned that from the very first, the letter to the President was also copied to the Minister of Health. Mm. So all of our correspondence with the President has been sent to the Ministry of Health. We've not received a single response from them. I would like to add, Nadia, Mm. that... In the letter to the Minister of Health, there was new information that had come to our disposal, Mm -hmm. which I view as absolutely crucial information 
that I think that everybody in South Africa must be aware of. This is an analysis yeah. that has been performed um, by a medical specialist mm-hmm. from publicly accessible information online, from World Online. Mm-hmm. And these two documents show unequivocally in 91 countries around the world, in each country following the rollout of vaccination, spikes of COVID-19 cases and spikes of COVID-19 deaths. These documents I've shown that I've sent yes. have got graphs which come from mm-hmm. each of the countries. Mm-hmm. In each of them, the pattern is slightly different, but in each of them, you will see after the commencement of the vaccination rollout, COVID cases went up and deaths went up. Now, in the light of that, to maintain that the vaccine is effective mm-hmm. is just mm-hmm. patently false. Mm-hmm. In your expert opinion, what is the the reason behind this mass correlation? Oh, there are two important things mm. about vaccination that all vaccinologists know or should know, and that is that, and especially in relation to coronavirus vaccinations, all previous attempts at developing coronavirus vaccines for animals and for humans, there are two important immunological principles that apply. Mm. The one is that after administering the vaccine for a period of 10 days or two weeks or so, there's a phenomenon of immune suppression. Mm -hmm. So you get the vaccine today. For the next 10 days to two weeks, your immune system is suppressed, Mm. which means you are more susceptible to picking up COVID. Mm. And not only COVID, by the way, susceptible to picking up other conditions as well. So to allow people to be vaccinated in a time when there's a pandemic, when they are going to be exposed to the virus, is insane. It has always been known that when you vaccinate for any condition, you vaccinate before exposure, not during exposure. And in this whole worldwide pandemic, all of the vaccination rollouts have been conducted during the pandemic. And it was predictable on basic principles. And these studies I'm talking about show that. That because worldwide, when people get vaccinated, they go through a period of immune suppression. Mm-hmm. So for a period of two to three weeks, more people die and more people get the virus. In these two to three weeks, if there are deaths that occur as a result of COVID. Yes. Now, we know that there's immune suppression happening, though, but are you aware of whether or not these deaths are recorded as official COVID-19 deaths? I do know that the CDC has fraudulently taken a policy that anybody who dies within two weeks of the vaccine will not be recorded as a vaccine-related death, but will be recorded as a COVID-related death. And what is their rationale behind this? I've never seen the rationale, nor have I heard the rationale. But whatever the rationale is, it is wrong. Because if you are given a substance which suppresses your immunity, Mm. and during the period of immune suppression, you contract the disease and you die from the disease, Mm. then the vaccine was the precipitating cause of death. And it should be recorded as a vaccine death. Mm. The other scenario, maybe you already had COVID. Maybe your immune system is dealing with COVID. So you have an infection, you're dealing with it, you're not symptomatic, but now you get a vaccine, your immune system is suppressed, and the COVID that you already had in your body Mm. can now replicate and make you sick and kill you.
in all of those cases, it is medically, it is a vaccine death. But the vaccine deaths are falsely being hidden and suppressed and falsely being recorded as COVID-related deaths or, or other things. Is this method of recording directed by the CDC, is that happening in South Africa? I don't know exactly what's happening in South Africa because the South African Health Department and the South African Health Product Regulatory Authority hide information. They do not provide the public, the, the, the media or the medical profession or the public, with important information that they should provide. That is exactly the reason for my request in the letter to the president to please give us information that we need. Now, that information is suppressed. So what they have, what they do with it, and how they, how they make their diagnoses, I don't know. But what I can tell you is at one stage, there is in South Africa this voluntary reporting system. So instead of SAPRA or the health department actively tracking and monitoring how many people get sick after vaccines, how many people get hospitalized, and how many die, which is what they should do during an experimental process. Mm -hmm. They should be tracking and publishing those figures, but they're not. Mm -hmm. Whether they're tracking them and keeping it secret, I don't know. And we've asked the president to let us to tell us those things. Mm -hmm. But people can voluntarily report side effects or adverse events or deaths. Mm -hmm. There was one report in the recent time from SAPRA, where they were given reports of 53 people who had died following vaccines. Mm -hmm. They then went and investigated all 53 deaths, and they came out with the remarkable conclusion that not one of the 53 was due to the vaccine. When I read their reasoning in saying why they were not due to the vaccine, it was clearly scientifically irrational, misleading, and false explanations. So what I can say, because I've seen this, mm. is that SAPRA is misleading the public about what it knows about vaccine-related deaths. So you state that the problem that plagues decision-making is the prevalence of compromised, dishonest, and non-objective experts. By what are they compromised? Well, let me give you an example of why I say they're compromised. Mm. We are told every day how many new cases of COVID there are in the country mm -hmm. and how many people have been hospitalized and how many people have died from COVID. We know that those figures are based on people who have a positive PCR test. Mm. Now, we also know very well that the PCR test gives false positives. Mm. So if 10,000 people tested positive, we know that the real number of COVID cases is less than 10,000 but we don't know how much less because we don't know the false positivity rate. And th that is one of the things which the health authorities should tell us. But, but if, if they know they're using a false test that gives false positives, it is wrong mm. to say that is the number of new cases because it isn't that number. Mm. And when they say that is the number of COVID deaths, that is wrong. Mm. It is not that number. Now, in fact, to diagnose the cause of death is a complicated medical process mm. because it is it's first of all a clinical medical procedure where the clinicians treating the patient go over the medical history, the clinical findings, the results of investigations, mm. and they come to a most probable on clinical grounds 
cause of death. In cases where it's not entirely clear, they have to do a post-mortem examination and study blood and fluids and look under the microscope and determine on medical scientific grounds the cause of death. Mm-hmm. Now, in South Africa, we know that post-mortems are not done. And it seems that anybody who dies from whatever cause but who had a positive PCR test is labelled as a COVID death. Within how many days after their positive PCR test? I don't think it matters. Hmm. If if they have a death and they find that this person had a PCR test positive, doesn't matter when, it will automatically be called a COVID death. I've spoken to doctors. Remember, I don't work in hospitals anymore. I'm I'm a medical legal neurosurgeon. Hmm. But I've spoken to doctors, including professors, who tell me that they, they have people who go into hospice, they die from cancer. But because they had a positive PCR, they are now labeled as a, as a COVID death. People who go into hospital with serious injuries from a motor accident, they die of their injuries. But, oh, goodness me, they had a positive PCR test, so let's call this a COVID death. Where the death is on medical grounds patently not mm. due to COVID. Mm. So there is falsehood in the allocation of COVID as the cause of death. And also knowing that there's false positives, many of the cases called COVID deaths may have really died from influenza or maybe from pneumonia. Mm. We know that the COVID test shows positive results in influenza A and influenza B. It has no ability to to discriminate Mm. between influenza A, influenza B and SARS-CoV-2. So in your letter... Every time you refer to vaccines or vaccination, it's in inverted commas. Why is that? Because it shouldn't be called a vaccine. Vaccines have been with humanity for ages. Mm -hmm. Vaccines are dead or attenuated. Attenuated means weakened organisms or pathogens, which are injected into a person or given to a person in the mouth and to which the body then mounts an immune response. And those vaccines have been proven, they've worked for decades, and we understand them well and we know them well. Hmm. These so-called vaccines are not that. They are a new scientific development. In the laboratory, they produce messenger RNA sequences, which are put together in such a way that when they're injected into you, they go to the cells of your body, Hmm. they get incorporated into the cells, And they instruct your cells to produce coronavirus spike protein. So the thing that is injected into you is not the pathogen. It's a genetic messenger that makes your cells become manufacturers of spike protein. And in that case, then, the spike protein is produced in your cells and presented to the body in the blood. That is completely different from the method of a standard vaccine. What dangers does this type of vaccination pose? All right. So first of all, let's just talk theoretically. Mm. If you get a flu shot, there's a number of dead or weak flu viruses that are injected into your arm. They Mm. stay there. Mm. Your body circulates, your immune system recognizes them, develops antibodies, develops B cells and T cells to that. They Mm. stay there and you, you develop an immunity. When you catch flu, it comes into your nose and it is trapped in your nasal mucosa. Your immune system encounters the virus in the nasal mucosa where there are various mechanisms for 
is to stay for a while while you develop antibodies and you develop B cells and T cells. We have never in the past had a situation where our immune systems are confronted with a spike protein suddenly appearing in the blood at any and all parts of the body. So theoretically, because it is such a totally different procedure, it should be properly tested before it is proclaimed to be either effective or safe. The next thing we don't know is compare going to the flu vaccine. We know how much of the dead material goes or the attenuated virus goes into your body. With these messenger mRNA cells, messenger mRNA portions, telling yourselves to make spike protein, I don't know, and I don't think anybody who knows has, has ever said it, hmm. but certainly it is not known how much of the spike protein is produced, and is it the same in all people? Hmm. Do some people produce so much spike protein and other people produce so much, depending on how their cells respond? Hmm. And nor do we know for how long. Does it just make it once? So there's just one production of spike protein and then it's the end. Or does it keep on for an hour or a day or for 10 days or for two months? So the, the amount of spike protein that is generated is uncontrollable. It's unknown. The duration of time over which it will be generated and also where in your body it will be produced. So these are such importantly different variables compared to the localized inoculation, which is controlled that it is to me reckless to use that in humans until you have properly proven in animals that you know what you're doing and it's effective and safe. So those are the reasons why, theoretically, I would be worried about this vaccination. Mm -hmm. However, excited, because if it works, it would be an amazing scientific breakthrough that would be good for humanity and could possibly be used in many other things and infections, such as cancer or other diseases. So it's a very interesting scientific breakthrough. But the effects of it are not known. Now, normally, vaccines and other new drugs or whatever gets tested in animals before it gets tested in humans. What we are told is that in the case of this, all previous attempts at developing mRNA vaccinations for coronavirus mm. in animals, not SARS-CoV-2 previous attempts, mm. have all failed. So the animal trials have never succeeded. Also, in this... In the COVID-19, the SARS-CoV-2, the animal trials failed. And the reason that we are told by virologists or immunologists why they failed is because of immune suppression and because of another phenomenon called antibody-dependent enhancement. 